Let's run nation for a second. Let's forget about Berlin. Let's forget about London. And let's forget about Chicago. It's time to think about your own training. And Elliptigo and Roll Recovery are having the Train Like the Pros giveaway. Link in the show notes. Over $3,500 in prizes. Sign up today. You can win an Elliptigo 8C, the go-to cross-training tool used by thousands of current and former runners. you got to be familiar with Elliptigo. High schools are using it. College are using it. At the 2020 U.S. Olympic trials, over 100 athletes used it. Molly Seidel, Meb Kofleski, Allison Tulemek, Emily Sisson. Oh, oh, Emily Sisson, yes. Jared Ward, Saren Hall, Molly Huddle. Too many more to name. They all use Elliptigo. You should too. And Roll Recovery. If you don't have the roller, order one right now. It's a tremendous recovery device. But you know what they have now? The R1 percussion device. Roll Recovery is no longer just a roller. Check it all out. The Elliptigo and Roll Recovery Train Like the Pros giveaway. Link in the show notes. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the best track and field podcast on planet Earth, Track Talk, where each week running is treated as an elite pro sport, not just a woke fitness activity. On this week's show, we'll talk about the incredibly good 2022 Bank of America Chicago Marathon, where Ruth Chepengedich nearly broke the world record. Emily Sisson did break the American record, and Connor Mance debuted in 208. Is Chepengedich the world number one? Is Emily Sisson better than Dina Castor? Is Connor Mance the next Galen Rupp? Plus, what do Galen Rupp, Emily Sisson, and Tom Brady all have in common? We'll also talk about the incredibly bad Chicago Marathon television broadcast, and a positive doping test in Elliot Kipchoge's training camp. Say it ain't so. Johnson, let's run co-founder, joined as always by my genetic equal, Weldon Johnson, as well as ace staff fighter Jonathan Gold. Gentlemen, good morning. Good to see you guys. Yeah, excited to be here, Robert. I mean, another week, another major marathon to discuss. We've got an American record. Connor Mance finally in the marathon. We thought this was going to be exciting, and we'll get to it in a bit. Maybe it would have been more exciting for the American viewers if we could actually see some of these storylines unfolding on our television screens. But nonetheless, a lot for American distance running fans to be excited about coming out of this Chicago marathon. It's going to be a great show, John. I mean, some of those yes or no questions, I could have just gone yes, no, yes, called it a day, I thought. But this doping test, I know nothing about. I got some, John, there's a post of yours on the internet. You could be canceled by the end of this show. I've also been told, well, then Robert has something he wants to share about you on this show that I'm totally unprepared for, but he's saying it might cause me to quit my job. So, I'm excited to find out what that is. I'm afraid to share that, John. Like it might ruin the image of the brand image of Let's Run as well. My parents may want to disown Weldon. It's all right, guys. Let's just get to it. The Chicago Bank of America, excuse me, Chicago Marathon. Since they are not only are the sponsor of the marathon, they are the owner of the marathon. Was held this weekend. 
We haven't even mentioned the men's winner. We got to mention the winner. Benson Cripruto, the 2021 Boston winner, is now the Chicago winner in 204-24. And Ruth Chepengedich, as we said, 214-18, after a crazy, ridiculous 65-44 first half. And John, didn't she go out in 207 pace? First 10K, right? Or she was ahead of Pat Tiernan. Pat Tiernan is a 27-22 guy. He's number two all-time in Australia in, I think, the 10K and the half marathon. And she's running in front of him in her debut marathon at 5K. She's like right with him at 10K, then falls off a little bit. But yeah, it was nuts. I mean, to- totally insane. And we'll get to Sis and Mance, obviously, from an American perspective, that's important, but from a global running perspective, Ruth Chepengedich running 214.18, coming 14 seconds shy of the world record, despite running an enormous positive split, 65.44, followed by 68.34 for her second half. That's the story here. This was like, I don't know, with Kipchoge going out in 59.51 a few weeks ago in Berlin, I thought that was going to be the craziest opening half split of the year. But at least with Kipchoge, we've seen him run that kind of pace and those breaking two things. A woman running 65-44 for her first half. I don't know if we're going to see that again for years, you know? I guess the same could be said of Kipchoge, but I was just I was stunned by what she did and I was also afterwards I was like, "Oh my god, if she just paced this thing a little better, she could have broken the world record easily." But either way, that made things very exciting seeing if she could hold on. And I guess when you blow when blowing up is 68-34 pace, which is still 217 pace, you're not doing too bad. But, man, that, that was crazy. It certainly was amazing. I can admit, I started watching a little bit late. I was getting texts from you guys saying something about 207 pace. And then I realized you were talking about the women's race. So <laughs> to make sure I turned on the TV quickly, but we should probably come up with a stat to compare it to the world record, right? The men's world record in the half is 57.33. Kipchoge goes out in 59.50, so that's 220 off it. The woman's world record in the half is like 62.52. And she went out, what was the time here? 65.44. So it's like 250. So on a, on a percentage basis, I wonder if it's actually similar. But... Absolutely nuts. I mean, she ran her first 5K in 1511. It's what it's happening, and it's it's so out of the norm of what I expect. I think I do the wrong thing. I sort of discount it. It was like when Bridget Koskai, when was that? Now, three years ago, when she ran her 214, 02, 04? 04. World record. You know, at the time, no one had come close to Paula Rackless, 215.25. So I'm like, well, she's just going to blow up. This, y- You can't do this. And she did it, held on, broke the world record. And this was that sort of run for me. But the splits were just so crazy in my head. I just was like, this is nuts. And she did the same thing last year. Last year, I mean, she went out fast. It was a hot day. And she totally fell apart. She didn't go out in 65.44, but on a hot day, she went out, what, 67? 
and then completely blew up, held on, won the race over 220. But this one, she slowed, but I mean, I guess it was nearly th- three minutes slower the second half, but it's, you're still running t- tremendously fast the whole way. Like she's essentially running, her her second half was faster than Emily Sisson's. Yeah, that's the crazy thing is she was slowing down and still running Foslet Sisson, who closed what like paced herself really well and was picking it up at the end. But I mean, it's just nuts if you look at her mile splits. Like, remember last week how we were freaking out? Yalm Zafi we thought she ran 443 for her 24th mile. Turns out it was more about more like a 459. We were like, is this the fastest women's split? in history with a 443. Well, here's what the Chicago website had as Chepengedich's first six-mile splits. 450. Now, I've seen that reported elsewhere as a 447, but the website they had gave to press says 450. 456, 455, 455, 457, 457. Then she finally runs slower than five-minute pace with a 502 seventh mile. But normally, a woman drops one sub-five mile in that and you're like wow things are taking off she started out in 450 it's just in, i mean i don't know it's it's totally nuts it's not to make it all about me but you know everyone's vain back when i was pacing Catherine dereba she wanted to break 220 so i ran the first mile in 520 she was nowhere to be seen she ran the, that mile in 545 repeat that for like three miles in a row so she was probably, oh my God, I'd love to see her split at 5K versus the split this weekend. Yeah, I just don't understand. Look, 214.18, incredible performance. One of the most, one of the fastest times we've ever seen in women's marathoning. It's only 14 seconds off the world record. But I just can't help but think to myself after this how much faster she could have gone if she didn't go out in 65-44. Like, this is the least efficient way possible to go out in 207 pace, 65-44 at the half. They're saying on the broadcast, oh, she's self-coached. But, like, you have a manager. You have some people in there that should be able to help her out with this thing. Like, last year, she goes out 67-34 on a hot day, totally blows up and slows down a lot, still wins. You would think if she's actually going for the world record, someone should just have a conversation with her and say, look, the fastest, the best way to break the world record is not to run 211 pace for the first half and then try to come back and just hold on. It's to run fairly close to even splits. Am I t- taking crazy pills here? No, you're not. I was wondering the same thing. I, I don't blame her since everything's about woke and diversity, etc. Like, do we want to on sexism? Do we want to blame it on racism? I mean, maybe sexism is, is the better take Nike spends all this money for the failings of passengers failing Kipchoge's world record attempts, or I guess that was step two, but everything is super well organized. Like, wouldn't you want to know this woman's going to go for the world record instead of just having, and what's her one pacer doing? Like, why don't they get someone to pace it properly? It just seemed weird to me, but you know, I do think that this gets at some, one of the advantages that's still available to the American runners and the Western runners is, the coaching and just stuff like this. I mean, just sit in the front of the work or don't run really smart first half. Like some of this stuff is still out of like 
pre-professional era. Like, it, I, I, it just seems weird. I mean, it was an amazing run. She doesn't seem that upset about it, but she definitely. I don't think there was everyone based on on those splits. No one in the super shoe era has ever been fitter than she was on Sunday. Well, the thing I would say is if I were her, you would think, Oh, okay. She, she's probably in like two thirteen shape right now. I don't think that's crazy to say based on the split she ran, but did she miss her opportunity? Like, okay, she could be in two thirteen or two fourteen shape again next year or the year after that, but you need to have good conditions in the race which she had in Chicago, but they didn't have that in Chicago last year. It's never a guarantee in the marathon. You have to make sure you're healthy. You stay healthy through training, which is, can be tough for a marathon. I look at Bridget Koskai, was supposed to run London this year, had the scratch. And the other thing is, you've got to hope that the world record doesn't get broken even more because now that she's running 214 again, I think that tells me, just we we know the bar has been raised in women's marathon. The world record might not be two fourteen oh four. The next time Ruth Chepengetich runs a marathon, if Cosguy gets a crack at it, if Tigas the Sefa gets a crack at it, if Yamsef Yahalor or Letasembekide, who's running Valencia later this fall, if they get a crack at it, this thing might be down in the two thirteens. But the next time Chepengetich gets a shot, maybe she missed her opportunity. This might have been it. Now, I don't know. I, I just think this this she could look back and regret this, uh, not having not taking this opportunity when it was there. John, she could have run two thirteen, like a hundred percent. She only missed it by eighteen seconds. And I like Robert's point. Like the world record in Chicago, Coast Guy just kind of went out and did it on her own. This thing, there's some talk beforehand, and I just dismissed it because you weren't hearing much from like the organizers, like, oh, she's going for the world record. It's just sort of like we throw her out here to the wolves and she has to kind of do it on her own. The pacing was atrocious. Um, but uh, it's just so stunning. Hansen put out a tweet, Hansen'sRun.com. Kevin Hansen. Excuse me, Kevin Hansen. John, it's okay for me to confuse brothers because my whole life people have been confusing us. One of the founders of the Brooks Hansen running project where this week program record on the men's side zach panning first hansen's man under 210 i think that's what you're gonna say well then yeah i was looking it up 209.28 he went to like grand valley state it, it's like, that's a like michigan school i mean that's a true this guy's like the blue collar runner man we should we should do something on him but yeah first sub 210 so congrats to them and this tweet says, I believe that the women's world record marathon will be 212 in the next two years. The fact that women are running 214 in the most inefficient way possible indicates huge jumps are ahead. I think probably, yeah, like 213 is the over under for two years. I, I think that's where we're at. This was crazy. I mean, I guess you got, uh, so you got to go 6630 and 6630. Yeah, I think we might be pretty close. I think I think so too. I don't think that's crazy to suggest. John, do we need to buy the plane tickets now to Valencia? I mean, do we think Gide could get the record in her first attempt? I I think she could. You think? Do you think she'll have the the balls essentially to do that to go for it? 
what did she do in her first half marathon in Valencia Weldon? She destroyed the world record, 62.52. That was her debut. So Robert threw this out in the week that it was this week. Can G'day go go to Valencia and break the world record in her debut marathon? I think absolutely she could. We are looking... Let us admit... Let us admit G'day. Probably the most talented long-distance runner in the history of women's distance running. She's got the world records at the 5,000, 10,000, and half marathon. The longer she goes in distance, the better she seems to get. I wouldn't put it past her. Now, yes, you need good weather. You need to make sure her training's gone well. And you need, most importantly, she needs to commit to going for it. And sometimes you don't want to do that. Look at Yalamzev Yahalo. She's an insane talent as well. But when she, she debuted you know, in Hamburg earlier this year, ran 2.17, debut record, but also wanted to be a little careful. That's why they went in a major. Now she's in London. Her career, marathon career is going great. But yes, if Gide takes a swing at it, I wouldn't be shocked if she broke the world record in the marathon. I'll go a step farther, John. If the Valencia organizers tell me the week of the race that she's going for the world record, I fully expect it to go down. I mean, this is a woman who the longer she runs, the better she seems to get, and she seems ideally suited for the road. Remember, she really drew our attention, well, in addition to the two world junior cross-country titles that she won, which is ridiculous. How do you win? A, how do you beat everybody when you're a teenager and maybe two or three years younger than you, older than you? But was when she ran that 44-20-15K on the roads the same year Bridget Coast guy set the marathon world record. It was a few months after that. Like, we put this into the IWF conversion tables, and it converted to like 6307 and a half marathon. The half marathon, the fastest anyone had run at the time was like 64.28. That was on an aided course. The world record was like 64.50 something. Well, guess what? The world record now is faster than what's crazy. It's her pace 62.52. So faster than the scoring tables predicted. Scoring were predicted 211 marathon. Now, the scoring tables have changed that to 2.13, but John Keller did a 213.30 for the half marathon. I, I think 213 would be expected. 212 wouldn't shock me. But what a talent. Well, I've got to ask you guys something about the shoes because obviously a lot of these times, you know, getting faster across the board. And that's one of the reasons why is they're now running two or three minutes faster, you know, pretty much everyone, right? But I got a DM from someone important in the sport. I'll just say that. And they were saying to me, they said, I'm revising my estimate that it's giving people three to four minutes in a marathon. So they already were sort of more bullish than we were on the impact of the shoes. I think for some folk, it's a lot more than that. Imagine if Chep and Gedich in Chicago had run, say, 66.30 through halfway. We might well have been looking at negative splits and something in the sub-213 region, certainly well below 214. It's getting really silly. So this person is saying it might be more worth four or five minutes in the, half mar- in the marathon on the women's side. And it's, it is worth pointing out until 2017, there was only one woman in history who had broken 218 in a marathon. That was Paula Radcliffe. 2017, we had Mary Katani and Terry Nashtababa both do 217s in London. Remember that was pre, they didn't have super shoes uh, in that race because Katani was an Adidas athlete. Dababa maybe had a prototype. I'm not sure. And Katani also paced that thing a little aggressively. She maybe could have run 216 on the day. But until then, Radcliffe was the only one 
who'd run t- under 218. And now we have lots of women running under 218. We've got a 214 and a 215 already this fall. We had Kozgai run 216.02 in Tokyo. What do you guys think? Do you think it's possible these things are worth four or five women, four or five minutes for the elite women? Or is that a little bit too aggressive? We've just got a real glut of talent in the event right now. I think four or five minutes is a bit aggressive. Maybe this is Paula Radcliffe talent now with super shoes. Because Paula's record was so out there. What do you think Paula would run with super shoes, right? I don't think he's going to run. But I think it's in that in that range. Well, I don't know, actually. Do we have any reason? We need to get, get a biomechanist on here. Is there any more reason it would help women... Maybe percentage-wise, they're a little bit slower than men, more than men, essentially. Time, so that'd be more time. But uh, I don't know. Um, But four to five seems a little bit high. Two to three, probably, for me. Three to four. Yeah, what I've always heard from the people in the know is that it really helps out the people who didn't have great strides to begin with. That's where you can make your biggest gains. I think maybe that's more true on the track than it is on the roads, on the roads, it seems to help pretty much any, everyone. But yeah, if, if some of these athletes are super responder, if you think it's, all right, baseline, maybe 2.30 to three minutes for a woman. But then if they're a super responder, maybe they get four minutes. I could see that. But I also think some of these women are just super talents. I think Yehalor is a massive talent. Sorry, I keep pronouncing her name differently every time. I'm going to figure it out eventually. I think it's Yehalor. Yehalor Yehalor. Uh, I think she's a super talent. Tickets to Sefa, who, who the hell knows, but maybe she's just been a marathon. Like the way she, her coach, Gamedu Dedefo, describes her workouts, she might be a crazy talent. I think Kozgai's a huge marathon talent, and I think that Gide is going to be one. So I think it's kind of a combination, but yeah, maybe the shoes are worth a little bit more than we thought. Maybe some of these women are just super responders. It's interesting because if you ask me, just from a theoretical standpoint, I would say women are lighter. The super foam is not going to ha- help them as much. But the World Athletic Study said 2.6% for the women, 2% for the men. So it's the opposite of what I would think. I would think the heavier you are, the more you know, it, it would help you. I don't think – well, that's part of the problem is I think there are super responders. I would think – you know, one of the things is I think Gaudet is a super responder. That's why I think she's – like that 15K, I was like, whoa, this is amazing. Like – Put her in the marathon right now. So, but it also could be that, like, we just didn't have. I mean, Africa was a very sexist place 25 years ago and 20 years ago, and Paul Radcliffe was running. It's less sexist now, but we're getting more talent on the female side out there. So, you know, that, that could be part of it. But one other thing I wanted to say about the Chicago crazy first half is, you know, historians, her first half should remind people, of, we should have put this in the week, though, I mean, in, in the recap, 1985, Steve Jones. Went out in 61.42 for the first half when the world record was 207.12. So he went out basically in 203, you know, 25 pace. So he's over three and a half minutes faster than the pace. That's basically what she did this year. She went out in 65.40. That's 211.20. It's three, three minutes. So, and Jones faded and missed it by one second. So, um, you know, kind of, kind of cool to see to 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 see it happen. You know, uh, man, I guess you'd like him to get the record, but it's almost it's almost more fun. Like when they do it, you're like, well, is she going to hold on? What's going on? This is crazy. 
Oh, it's definitely fun watching that. Yeah. Okay, let's talk about some of the other storylines from Chicago. I think we need to talk about the runner-up here. Emily Sisson, her first marathon start in more than two years. She lives up to the hype. 218.29, American record. Essentially followed the game plan exactly as they wanted. Coach Ray Tracy wanted 69.30 at halfway. She's 69.26. Some great pacemaking by Brian Harvey and Johnny Miller. She picks it up a little bit towards the end. Her last 5K is actually her fastest 5K of the race. And she's closing down. She, you know, she looked the best I've seen someone in the last 100 meters of a marathon for quite some time. She looked like she had quite a lot left. She split 16-19 for that 5K from 35K to 40K. And she demolishes the American record of 219-12 set earlier this year by Kira D'Amato. I think this was just a sort of perfect storm of a great talent on a great day for racing with a great pacemaker. It all goes to plan. It's a flat course, which plays to her strengths. Just all came together for Emily Sisson. A really impressive run by by her. Amazing run. Amazing run. I I hate to say it, but Robert, you know, before she ever ran a marathon, she was saying her coach Ray Tracy says she's made for the marathon. Two twenty-three in her debut in London—that's pretty good. But, you know, bombed out of the Olympic trials. And coming into this, we we're like, wait. This was my analysis. I think of her as a, having a better ceiling than Kira Damato. But then I'm like, wait, that's wrong. Kira Damato just beat her at a 20K. Maybe Kira Damato's just better than her at some of these longer distance stuff. And I think now that's not the case. Kira Damato, great story. Thank God she got the record. What did I call it? The greatest thing that happened in 10 years in the sport. I don't think future events should change your assessment of something, should they, John? She got the American record. No, it was it cool. remains a great story. It's oh. she's always going to have that moment. I thought her attitude afterwards it was very cool. There was this shot. Chicago had flown in Kira Damado, Dina Casta, and Joan Benoit Samuelson, who were the three previous record holders. And earlier this year, when Kira broke the American record, we had her and Dina on the Let's Run.com track talk podcast. Great conversation. And Dina said when she first broke the record in London in 2003, she got a call from Joni congratulating her. So then when Kira broke her record earlier this year, Dina called Kira congratulating her. And now this time, Kira was right there at the finish line to congratulate Emily in person. So I thought that was a nice little passing of the torch moment. But yeah, Kira D'Amato will always be able to say, I had this incredible story where I went from not running for seven years, not training seriously for about seven years to American record holder in the marathon. That doesn't change just because that record was then obliterated nine months later. You hope her bonus isn't contingent on like having the record at the end of the year. <laughs> but it was just tremendous running all the way around on Emily's part. Yeah, I don't know if there's that much to say about it, honestly. Like, her ga- she ex- hit exactly what she wanted in her game plan. Everything went according to plan. She had male paces that helped her for a good chunk of it. She got second in the race. She didn't go out with Shep and Gedich, which would have been idiotic. And she ran a really smart, pretty much perfect race to get 218.29. And I think moving forward, 
you would say with how well she closed, maybe sub 218 would be possible if all the stars align at some point in the future. But with this, th- this is an A+. Plus. There's really nothing else. She, I don't think there's much she could have done better. This pacing was almost perfect for her. 69.26, 69.03. But that shows, John, how hard it is for her to go to sub 218, right? I mean, neither half split was under 69 minutes. But imagine what Ruth would have run if she kind of had did it this way. What I want to say about this is, first of all, congratulations. I mean, A++ in execution, which is perfection. But the other thing was, John, you're talking about the shoes, four to five minutes. There's an interesting thread on Let's Run saying, hey, do you think this is a better performance than Dina Castor? If the shoes are worth two minutes, it might not be worth it. And on this thread, someone's like, well, actually, look at the shoes that she's wearing. And people are debating which version of the New Balance it is. But most people are saying this is not actually their marathon shoe. It's their regular racing flat. It may have some foam in it. Some people are saying it's a prototype. But they don't have the big, thick sole that the normal Nike shoe has. So some people are saying she may have been this good without the super shoes. Maybe, she, you know, her coach said she was, you know, whatever. So th- if this isn't a super shoe, maybe she's not getting two, three, four, five minutes advantage. And in terms of that argument, John, have you looked up their 5,000 and 10,000 meter PBs? And I guess people could say they're super spikes now, but Emily Sisson's track PBs are almost identical, I think, to Dina Castor's. So they are pretty similar. Emily Sisson has run 14.53 for 5,000 and 30.49 for 10,000. Dina Castro has run 14.51 and 30.50. And if you remember last year at the Olympic trials, Emily Sisson totally dominated everyone in the 10,000. We were like, oh, wow, this is one of the most dominant runs we can remember at a U.S. championships from a distance runner. We actually had Dina Castor on the Let's Run podcast to discuss that run. And we were like, wow, yeah, when's the last time you can remember someone doing something like this. And Dina was just kind of too humble to mention it, but that's the same thing she used to do against women domestically at the 10,000 championships. So I do, I think there is definitely some similarities, Robert, but what I would say is this, when Dina ran her American record of 219.36 at London, we know she didn't have super shoes. And that also, at that moment, she was basically the best female marathoner in the world because she had won Chicago the previous fall she won London 219, which was a rare time in the world. I think it was probably a top five time ever, top 10 time ever. And it's also winning the race. Emily Sisson just got beat by more than four minutes. And okay, maybe women's marathoning overall is stronger now than it was in 2006. But against her competition, Casta clearly was a lot more competitive. So I'm not willing to say what Sisson did on Sundays, more impressive than what Dina Casta did, but 218.29, damn good run. And if it wasn't, I mean, can we re- is it really possible in the year 2022 someone's running a marathon, an elite athlete is running a marathon and they're not doing it in super shoes? I would find that hard to believe, but I'm not a shoe expert. Another thing that I found amazing about this run was post-race comments. Robert, I actually have her comments. I was going to have a new segment. Do you believe what the athlete tells you in the pre- or post-race press conference? Here we go. 
actually didn't know what pace I was on the whole time, so um, I just was given instructions to go at my pacers and not think about time at all, and so I had no clue what pace um, I was running until I think like a mile ago, um, a few people had told me to pick it up, so I thought, oh, I must be close to either breaking 220 or um, the American record, but I didn't know which one, so when I crossed the finish line, I was really surprised. Um, with the time and the place, and I'm just really, really happy. It's been so long since I've run a marathon, and I'm really happy to have a positive experience here. That's pretty amazing, but the more I think about it, I believe it. I mean, what did I already say about Catherine Dereba? She was, like, way off her pacing. She was running by feel. She must have only known a 5K split and then realized it was too slow and started hammering it. And then I have my own clip that I want to show, Weldon. Galen Rupp was in town, and he actually did a media thing. He went to Dave Kaplan's show on NBC Sports on, on the Chicago show, NBC Sports Chicago. And this interview is getting a lot of praise. Rupp was very relaxed, not uptight, seemed good with the media, had some good answers. But Mr. Kaplan asked him, hey, as an elite, do you ever hit the wall in the marathon? And what he said here, it's a kind of a long clip. It's like 90 seconds, but it's dead on what Emily Sisson says. And I really think this is a, a cool clip. Is there any point, Elite, you're the best American runner ever, one of the greatest in the history of the world. Is there a moment in a 26-mile uh, marathon that you are hitting a wall? Oh, absolutely. I think like any elite that tells you it's easy all the way through or they don't have those doubts, they're lying. Um, you know, I go through those. It's totally normal to have, you know, start to question things and, and question, can I make it? Can I hold this pace? You know, I've still got 10 miles to go and I feel awful right now. And for me, you know, the biggest thing has always been about trying to stay present. And I've counted mile markers. I've counted light posts, just any small um, you know, marker I can get, mind. yeah, to get keep myself going, and and you learn that you know you can work through these things. You can't run ten miles all at once. So when you're thinking I've got ten miles to go, all you can really focus on is that next step, that next breath, even. And and I really try to stay present when I'm running the marathon and, and keep my mind calm and and work through those difficult times. So I remember talking to the manager of the Cubs when they finally won the World Series, and he had this mantra: one batter, one pitch, one out at a time. He said, if you worry, oh, God, if I strike out here and the next guy makes it, we're not going to. He said, just worry about that pitch. Absolutely. And once it's gone, Tom Brady says the same thing, one snap at a time. Same deal you're telling us. It's just extra stress. I mean, it's it's totally normal for your mind to want to wander, you know, and, and start thinking like, ah, oh, you know, I'm, I'm a little sore in my quad. You know, is this going to hinder me? Or how can I hold this for another 10 miles, 12 miles to go? There you have it, folks. Tom Brady. Galen Rupp is Tom Brady. Emily Sisson is the Chicago Cubs. I thought that was cool, though. And I really think it's true. Like, just focus on what you control. Like, you know, I used to play some tennis, and I used to think, wow, it's 1530. If I lose this point, it's going to be 1540, and I have to win two points in a row, or otherwise I lose the meet. I mean, that type of, of training, thinking is really bad. So try to focus on the task at hand. What I do think is interesting, actually, being a Baltimore guy from Justin Tucker, John, the great field goal kicker, he did a post-race, post-meet, post-game interview interview on NBC after making this long kick to win the game this weekend. 
he admits, he's one of the few people I admits, he says, I have those thoughts, those negative thoughts, you know, about like what happens if I miss this kick or whatever. But then I just try to focus on, okay, the snap, the hold, the 1.8 seconds it takes to do it. So it's natural to, to realize it, but try to focus on the task at hand. But I thought that was cool. It seemed weird at first when Sisson said it, but I think she did do that. I think she was just focused on running and knew that she didn't have to worry about the other stuff because she had pacers. Well, Sisson, I think they had a game plan. She had paces that she trusted, and she just knew, hey, if I put my trust in these athletes, they're going to be fine. And <laughs> But I do think Welton said, like, when you come through halfway, don't you notice the clock? Yeah, that you, you would have to think that, right? Or, like, you know, once you get to 35K or something – Someone might say, hey, you know, you're on American record pace. We're going to pick it up a little bit. Or if you're feeling good, that is a little weird. But no, I think it speaks to the trust and the game plan they had. And also the Rupp thing I found interesting that it's like, wow, elite marathoners. They're just like us. That's the same thing that normal runners have late in a marathon is, oh, man, I just need to make it to this light post or something like that. They're just running a lot faster than us. But I thought that was an interesting admission. The Sisson thing, parts of it are hard for me to believe, but overall, it's hard to think for me during when I ran my marathons. I just like couldn't think. Although the time I paced Paula, I knew she was on the record, but like we slowed down one mile and she yelled out. But meanwhile, I was thinking like, hey, we're you got the record. But I think if, if her mindset is like, I'm just going to run with the pacers, kind of go off them. I feel good. We'll pick it up. I think she totally could not be too focused on the pace. She probably had some idea, but she's thinking like, okay, it's going pretty well. But to her, as she said, her goal was sub 220, you know, hoping if it goes great, I get the American record. Well, while we're talking about Rob, there was another clip from this interview with Mr. Kaplan that I found interesting. He asked him, hey, you're 36. Is there anything else you want to do in your career? Now, before we play the clip, Holding, you can cue it up. It's at the 452 mark. I want to ask you guys, Jonathan and Weldon, what do you think? How do you think he answered this question? Anything else he wants to do in his career? I mean, the I would say the three big things would be American record in the marathon, win Boston, win the Olympics in the marathon. I'm going to guess he says American record. Win the New York City Marathon. Make another Olympic team, obviously. And I did notice he's made a lot of Olympic teams. 8, 12, 16, 20. He could tie Abdi Abdurrahman as the most ever. That's what I noticed from that clip. But do I play the clip, Robert? Do you tell us? How does this work here? You play the clip. Okay, so you're 36. Mm Mm-hmm. Is there something you want to accomplish? You've won in Chicago. You're a run in New York. You've won all these great races. you got a great career. Is there something you haven't done you want to do? Well, I've got a silver and a bronze medal, so I think getting a gold medal is, is still uh-huh. the ultimate goal in the Olympics. Um, you know, I would love to get the American record in the marathon. Um, it's, it's a little tricky because, you know, so much depends on, you know, wind and uh, pacing, weather, different things like that, that I've never been too focused on time. You know, winning has always been my, my top priority. You know, that's why I do this. I love to compete. Uh-huh. Um, but, you know, I, I think as far as goals, I really just want to see how far I can take it. You know, it's 
one of the cool things about running is that it is such a personal journey. It you know, is. it's obviously an individual sport, but you really get so much out of all the work that you put in and, and trying to find, you know, excellence in every day, you know, whether that's sleeping, recovery, training, lifting, you know, treatment, taking care of my body. I still feel like I have a lot of good years left and, and I, I still feel like the best is yet to come. So Johnny did a little bit of both, but Olympics is number one. I'm glad he wants the American record. My question to you, you're the historian here. You're the stats guy, John. Has Rupp ever run a Ravage Marathon? Yeah. Not counting Prague. What, what do you mean? First of all, yes, he ran his personal best in Prague, so you can't just say that doesn't count. Second of all, he ran Chicago last year and finished second. That was a Rabbit Marathon. He ran Chicago in 2018. when He he ran Chicago in 2017 when he won. Like He's run a bunch of Rabbit Marathons. Do you... This isn't even history. This is like literally one year ago. He ran 206 in Chicago. It just seems weird that you can get runner-up in, in this day and age of 203s in a rabid race at a major. Oh, it was hot. So last year it was it hot. It was hot. And but, it was, there were five marathons last fall, and Chicago had one of the weakest fields. So, yeah, that's how you run 206 and get second. What about the year he won it? Was it rabid that year? That one, no, he he only won it in 2000, sorry, in, in 2009. I don't think it was rabbited actually the year he won. But the following year when Farah won, they remember they were both trying to go for the continental, sorry, for the, you know, the British and the American records and Farah got it and he won. So yes, sorry, 2017 was not rabbited, but 2018 was. And of course, Rupp wants to win the Olympic gold medal, but I'd ruled that out of him. So I'm like, I'm not counting that. You know, I was thinking it's more likely he wins in New York. But I guess only three Kenyans, three Ethiopians. Step all goes together. But you want to be a, you want to be counted out on Let's Run because I counted out Memkafoski about ten times, and every time he got better. So Galen. glad to see you out there doing the TV and stuff. This is the side of Galen where people want to see. You know, the media is not out to get people. The media generally wants access. If they don't get access, then they become more out to get you. I'll say that much. All right. So let's shift gears to the men's race in Chicago. We talked about the win of Benson Kipruto. I think we just need to give a shout out to... It's the fall of the Kiprudos. We had Amos Kipruto, his training partner, no relation, won in London last week. Now, Benson Kipruto wins in Chicago. They've also got a third member of their training group, Evans Chibet, won Boston earlier this year. He's running New York. It's possible that this group of theirs could win all the non-Kipchoge majors. It would be Eli Kipchoge won Tokyo and Berlin. And if Evans Chibet wins in New York, it would be this group, Claudio Baradelli's group, taking the other one. So... I don't know. I was impressed by Benson Kiprudo. He Now that he's won Boston last year, he was third in Boston this year, and now he's won Chicago. You could very easily say, I mean, after London, we said Amos Kiprudo, probably the best non-Kipchoge marathon. And Benson Kiprudo certainly in that conversation as well now. Seifuturo was second. The Ethiopian, he was the winner last year, put up a a game effort, and then third place John Coria had run, runs a four minute PR of two hundred five hundred one. 
Yeah. I don't know if there's any huge takeaways from the men's elite race. I think we're all eager to talk about Conor Mance, but anything on Benson Cabrudo, the winner, before we go into the Mance zone? A solid win. He's one of the better guys. As for John Career, you're a Kenyan? Yeah, you better you better get a four-minute PR. I don't think there's a lot of money running 209s if you're a Kenyan these days. Let's go to the Mance zone. Second fastest debut by an American, the fastest by fastest American born debut, 208, 16. Is that right, John? Correct. How are we going to grade this? I mean, on the one hand, General John Kellogg did predict 208.23. So congratulations to you, John. John's over in the background celebrating. Sorry, before I get to Mance, that reminds me of something. I'm going to reveal something to John Kellogg. Guy signed up for the supporters club, and instead of giving him a 12-week sort of base training plan that we normally give everybody else. He said, hey, do you have any marathon plans? So we gave him one because we we coached a guy last year and he was going for a similar time goal. I emailed, I texted him before the race. What is your goal? So I can track you. My A++ goal is still 253, which is a New York qualifier, but I'll be content with a sub three. He just texted me, John, 248.56. I want to give John Kellogg a kiss. Thanks for coming. <laughs> well, that John says he's passing on the kiss, but maybe Connor Mance should be coached by by John Kellogg and himself because two hundred eight sixteen. I'm going to be honest; it didn't do it for me. I predicted two hundred six to two hundred eight. Um, you know, if he was four minutes faster than two hundred eight sixteen, like did my guy. We'd be super happy. Now, on a percentage basis, four minutes to 253 is probably not quite the same as four minutes to 208, but you get the point. Now, it could be a lot worse. I mean, Patrick Tiernan is another NCAA cross-country champion. He debuted in Chicago. He was behind the women's winner from for 5K and then ended up in 211. So 208 isn't terrible, but I'm going to give this – well, if, if you're honestly doing the actual, like, C is fair, I would say – C minus. Oh, come on. C minus for an American debuting in 208 16. Are you crazy, Robert? Give him some credit. Like, we had well, high standards. In this day age of great inflation, I would say B minus. No. He got, I'd say A minus, maybe B plus, but I'd give him it somewhere between A minus and A. We're, we're just getting, we're saying, oh, the hype was has been surrounding this guy ever since he won NCAA Cross. This is going to be the next great American marathoner. Look at him. Look at the way he runs and everything. Look, there's one thing to talk about all this stuff. It's quite another to go out and actually do it on the course. We expected him to run 207, 208, but I don't think like a C minus for a guy running 208, 16 for an American. We've been crying out for Americans to run this fast. He put himself in position to run 207. He came through in 63, 45. He couldn't quite hang on to that, but given he had some illness in the race week leading up to the race. I think that's an A minus performance of 208.16. He's the seventh fastest American of all time. I don't think there's too much to complain about. Wait, he was sick this week? Last week? He said he had a little illness earlier this week before the race. Okay, I'm going to give him just a B. I'm like Robert. I could see how Robert would say C, just sort of like solid, like old school. I don't know. We always hear people used to grade like that, but 
I'm nearly 50 and I don't, they didn't grade it like that. But the game is changing, John. This is super shoes. I'm going to throw out two numbers guys, and see if this means anything to you. Seven minutes and seven seconds. Which is higher? That or five minutes and 48 seconds? You guys, I don't know if any of you guys are math majors, but which of those two seven numbers minutes, is... Well, seven minutes and seven seconds, seconds is... It's got to be how far he is behind the world record, right? Correct, John. And What's five minutes and 48 seconds is how far he's ahead of the women's world record. His time was closer. There's some perspective. His time was closer to Bridget Coates' guy's world record by a lot than L.A. Kipchoge's world record. I mean, so I... I I can give him a B, but like, I don't know, man. Like, I keep saying I want people just to just go, 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 go. They got to start thinking 205s, 206. I mean, that's not even that. It's just the era has changed. But here's the thing. He went out in 63.45 and he faded. So you're saying, oh, he need, if we sh he should have gone out faster, then he just totally would have blown up. I think 63-45 was a pretty sensible first-half split. It gave him an opportunity to come home in negative split if he was really feeling good. But clearly, so what, towards the end, he kind of hit the wall a little bit and had to back off. So, yeah, look, I think this is fine. If And I think we also have to remember, he's 25. For American Marathon standards, that's a baby. He's got room for improvement. I think he can get to 206 one day. Can he get to 205 or faster? I'm not sure about that. But I thought this was a good start, and hopefully there's more to come. It, it's enough to get people excited saying, hey, another build-up, another training cycle, another year of experience. He can go do even better his next time out. Well, John Kellogg heard us talking about this. He said B, B-plus from an American standpoint, international standpoint, C. But... I read this on the message board. It was a good point. Like we were comparing this guy to Galen Rupp or somewhere two time NCAA cross country champion, blah, 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 fast track times. I thought that was a ridiculous comparison. And I think afterwards we see how ridiculous it was because, you know, Rupp never goes out in the second pack. Rupp runs to win. Rupp is one of the best runners in the world when he was competing on the track he occasionally was meddling, often finishing fourth or fifth. Mance is that at the U.S. level. He's hoping to be top three in the track. He's normally fourth or fifth, and, you know, he, he runs his marathon. One other thing to think about is look at these other Americans that ran 209. Zach Panning, McDonald, who went to Princeton. What are 5,000-meter PBs? I think they're like, what, 1337 guys, or is it 1327? I think it's 1337. I looked it up last night. That's that's man's is seven or eight seconds faster in the 5K. This guy's supposed to be made for the marathon. Multiply seven or eight seconds times 26.2, and you're getting like three minutes, I think. So if, if you take 209 and subtract three minutes, that's 206. So 206 and the super shoes would have been 208 back in the day. That would be an A. This 208 in super shoes is over 210. Alan Culpepper, who was you know an Olympian, our era, debuted in 209 20 years ago. So 
I don't know. I'm glad to hear he was sick because I was expecting faster. All right. I think you're just being a little unduly influenced by some of these Americans we've had. To, like Ryan Hole, when he debuted in 208, I think you'd call that an A+. plus, Right? When Galen Rupp debuted, I mean, he won the trials convincingly, so it was kind of hard to say where he can pay. But then his second marathon, he gets the Olympic bronze medal. That's an A-plus race. So Conor Mance, this was not an A-plus, but he essentially he got very close to what his goal was, which is 207.56 debut record. That's why I'm inclined to give it an A minus. But you're also going to remember Conor Mance, when he's making his debut, he's not at the same point in his career when Galen Rupp was making his debut. Galen Rupp, at that point, we knew was one of the very best distance runners in the world. He was almost 30 years old. He'd been on the scene a while longer than Mance had. So, look, I don't, I'm not sure if Mance will ever get to where Galen Rupp was in the marathon because he's one of this country's greatest marathoners ever. But for a starting point, I think this is absolutely fine. It's fine, but we shouldn't get too carried away, John. Mance was one minute and 12 seconds ahead of Zach Panning, a guy who, you know, has to work at the Hanson shoe stores some of the time. We have one guy who's a multiple time NCAA champion, only a minute ahead. So that's how good Zach did. I guess we'll give a shout out to all these sub 210 guys. Matt McDonald, a BAA, 209.49. Nico Montanez, 209.55. So. Well, while, while we're at it, let's give a shout out to Susanna Sullivan on the women's side. Sixth place, 225.14. She is, in case you forgot, the fifth grade teacher, unsponsored still, I believe. She won Cherry Blossom earlier this spring, started the year with a 233 marathon PR, 31 years old. She's now down to 225. She also ran 226 at Grandma's and is sixth in a world marathon major. So that's impressive. And Sarah Vaughn. In her second career marathon, she gets a PB as well, 226-23. The former world's team member in the 1500 takes seventh overall. So if we're going to shout out the 209 men, I think we shout out those two women as well. I mean, it's crazy. On the women's side, 230-28 was 10th place. You're almost three miles back. It's just crazy how fast. I wish Weldon was as good at the marathon as Matt McDonald is. Matt McDonald's PBs are over 14 minutes, 29.38. And Weldon, if you had super shoes in his form, you'd be crushing it. All right. I, 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 I've had some technical difficulties, so I'm not sure if I did say this. It could be worse. If I'm sorry if I'm repeating myself, but Patrick Tiernan, former NCAA champ in cross country, ran 2.11 in this race. So anyways. Let's talk some more negative stuff, John. Weldon doesn't really know about this. I want to get to one more marathon news before I embarrass Weldon and potentially have to shut the website down. But wait, speaking of shutting the website down, you guys are not aware of this. You know how we record and sometimes we go, this has got to be not on the internet. For the Supporters Club podcast, the first thing that went out, there was a clip and later it said, oh my, we got to redo that, redo that, do that, redo that. So a little behind-the-scenes stuff went out to a supporters club. Don't worry. It was nothing to get canceled about. But hasn't happened. Hasn't happened before. But I, I, I was like, whoops. So thank you to all supporters club members. We do give you a little more behind-the-scenes in the supporters club. Join today. Let's run.com slash subscribe. 
And on Friday, we'll be breaking down this weekend's a lot of NCAA cross-country action, pre-nats, Wisco, all of that will be talked out in great detail. But speaking of canceled, John, I, I saw this right before we came on air. Weldon doesn't know the specifics. I know very little of the specifics. You told me about it, actually. Please tell me Alec Kipchoge is not going to be canceled. But true or false, someone in his training camp has been popped with testosterone and admitted to it? Please give us the details. Were they... Was it a positive test? Was it a raid? Who is this person? How close to Kipchoge are, are they? How many other people in this camp have been busted? Well, I don't know if I can answer all of the questions, but I'll try to explain it. So Philemon Kacheron is his name. Now, I think this came out uh, a few months ago that he had tested positive, but we hadn't really seen any of the details. And now the AIU has released some of the case details this week. He is a 205 marathoner. He ran that to finish third in Valencia last year, so one of the best marathons in the world. And he's a member of Kipchoge's training camp in Kaptegat, the global sports training camp that their management agency puts on. If you look from the Ineos 159 Challenge, he was one of the pacemakers for that back in 2019. And in his bio on the website, he was listed as one of the strongest training partners of Kipchoge. And the details of this case is that in April of 2022, he tested positive for testosterone. And he was notified in July, didn't contest the findings. He essentially signed an admission of guilt, which reduced his sanction from four years to three. And now he's banned for three years. And that that's what we know about the situation. I've reached out to Valentine Trow, who's the agent of Kipchoge. He's also kind of the guy who, from Global Sports, who manages this training camp in Kaptegat for more details. Because I'd, I think there are a lot of questions still to be answered. Where did he get this testosterone? Was he intentionally using this? Or did he just cut a deal because he thought he wouldn't be able to clear his name? We need to know more about this because, to me, it is it's pretty serious when a guy who's in Kipchoge's camp is signing an admission of guilt of using testosterone, which is, you know, that's a, that's not a, a joke of a drug or something you ingest accidentally. Like testosterone, it's pretty serious, right? So I think there are still a lot of questions to be answered, and I'm hoping that we can hear from Kipchoge. Age, well, Kipchoge's agent, Valentine Trout, who I think is also Katron's agent in this in this case. I'd like to see what comes out, but I'm not, for some reason, maybe it's the story from 10 years ago when I was talking to a Kenyan American about, he wanted to call me to let me know someone had been popped in Kenya. I said, man, are they, is everyone dirty? He said, no, I've heard Kipchoge, I believe Kipchoge is clean. That's what keeps me in the sport. So yeah, it's disturbing, but uh, if I was living in Africa and having a tough time, I can easily see how you'd dope. And even dope just to be Kipchoge's training partner and make a few thousand dollars a year. So does that mean Kipchoge is doping? No, but the more stories you like this, the more suspicious people are going to get. I still don't understand, though, because those the poverty issue and the angle for doping, I don't understand why that stops in Kenya and doesn't go to Ethiopia. So are the Ethiopians just naturally more pure, moral than the Kenyans? Or is no, the testing not as good? Or is it like a well, dictatorial country somehow and they, they, they shut it down? I think there are two reasons. One, maybe the testing's improved, but I think the testing in Kenya is just generally better than it is in Ethiopia. And two, 
I was speaking to Johnny Depp and daughter about this a couple of years ago. Sorry, a couple of weeks ago. Uh, he represents a lot of the top Ethiopians and Kenyans. And he said in Ethiopia, he just thinks it's harder to get EPO or any sort of doping material. That in Kenya, you if you're corrupt, you can go to a doctor and ask for a prescription for a banned substance and they'll give it to you. Or you might just ask for a prescription or treatment for some injury and you're prescribed a substance that is on the water banned list and you haven't looked into it. Whereas in Ethiopia, I think it's just harder to procure those substances through a regular doctor. So that's one reason he suggested why you're seeing fewer positive tests in Ethiopia because it's just easier to get it through a doctor through illicit means or otherwise in Kenya. Yeah, I do think this catch-on thing, though, should not go unnoticed, and I, I think there are still more questions to be asked because when someone's just... A, very rarely do you see someone just openly admit to testosterone. Uh, there's usually some sort of defense, and the fact that he didn't offer one in this case in the what's been released publicly, that's very interesting to me. I wonder if there's more to the story here. Once again, Jonathan Galt coming down hard on someone who tests positive. Coming down hard. I, I've just said, Weldon, I want to know more. I want to know the details. Like, uh, you're clearly just not listening to anything I'm saying. I know you're trying to troll me with the Shelby Houlihan thing, but I'm literally I, saying I want to know more because this sounds strange to me that someone would just admit to doping. Maybe he did. I mean, he again, he's admitted his guilt, but... What went into that decision? I'd love to know. I'd love to hear his side of the story. Threw a little bait out there, John. Robert, and he bit. He bit. <laughs> I guess I didn't have to live the once again, but I said, John, coming down hard on someone who tests positive, and he somehow brought up Shelby Houlihan. Interesting, interesting. Yeah, I've fallen for the troll, well, Ouijo. Guys, can we turn to something that, that got more coverage than the American record in Chicago? Maybe more coverage than woman almost breaking the world record and that's the wheelchair races in chicago okay first of all could either one of you guys tell me who won the both wheelchair races yes because it was on our screen for the entire time no they didn't just interview the winner of the men's wheelchair race marcel hoog they also interviewed the runner-up daniel romanchuk he was on the screen the runner-up of the wheelchair race was on the screen when we had people chasing world and American records for about two minutes. It was just ridiculous. The women's race was Su Susanna Scaroni got the win. Again, because they forced the stuff that down our throats. I mean, I need to go on a rant here, but it was ridiculous. The coverage of the 2022 Chicago Marathon may have been the worst I've ever seen for a world marathon major. I know we say this every time. Oh, there are complaints. But the thing that really... is bothered me about this race is we have these major storylines going into the race. You've got Emily Sisson going after the American record. You've got Connor Mance, one of the most tantalizing marathon prospects in US history. He's making his debut. He's going after the American debut record. And we see those two athletes on the screen combined for maybe two minutes until the final half hour of the race. Maybe not even that. Maybe the final 20 minutes. Once the win is finished and they could, or once the wheelchair is finished and they can get a camera on Sisson or Mance. I mean, Mance, we barely even saw the entire time, but it's just, 
I I don't blame NBC Chicago, the local broadcasters of the race. If they want to, I mean, I think it's kind of silly sometimes that things they do, they cut to someone. It's always some reporter standing at mile 20 with some fundraising group, or they're making some running puns, or there's always the one reporter who's run a marathon before and they cut to her and they give that person gives some advice. They say, yeah, you've run this race three times. Look, maybe that's what your average NBC, sorry, average Chicago viewer wants to see on Sunday morning. I don't think it is. I think a elite broadcast would be make more sense. But when that is the feed that Peacock is picking up, you've got a major problem because people are paying Peacock. If you're a track and field watcher and you've signed up for the Peacock plan, you want to see elite races and you want to see them treated like the elite sport. That's why you sign up for it. That's what we get on the Diamond League. The Diamond League feeds, we get the international elite feed. It's treated like an elite sport. That's what we got for the Berlin Marathon. I know it wasn't on Peacock, but if you woke up early and watched Berlin on Flowtrack, you were getting the international feed. You're getting Tim Hutchings and Chris Dennis and they're treating it like a pro sport. You're not getting that watching this NBC feed. That's the only feed that's made available legally to Americans. And if the World Marathon majors or the Chicago Marathon really want to promote this as an elite sporting event, you need to hire someone out and produce this broadcast for us to consume because what American John, distance fans were given is not good enough. Well, I've never seen John go off like that. That long, that long-winded. Yes, but that's because he's never had to watch this. I don't think it was any worse than normal. I think it was. it's normally this bad. Every broadcast I watch, I'm like, this is the worst. I'm going to do something about it. Only one time after New York on ESPN did I write an article saying these are the changes that need to be made. John's normally in the mix zone where they're showing more dedicated cameras. He doesn't have to watch this crap. So, look, it was basically unwatchable. It's very simple. They show way too much of the wheelchair. Nobody cares about the wheelchair. It's hard to broadcast one sporting event, marathon at all and make it compelling. But when you try to broadcast four at once, two race marathon races, and then two wheelchair races, it makes it worse. My wife is a big sports fan. She's not a running fan. She came downstairs. I had the race on the TV. She said, wow, race. And she was teaching my son about the race. And she's, my wife kept saying, why are they showing the race cars? That's what she called the wheelchair race. And then she's like, this is the worst sporting broadcast I've ever seen. She could not believe it. This is a woman who watches the NFL, average sport broadcast. She just thought it was crazy. So like, look, you need to focus on the leads. But the thing is, these people think that focusing on the wheelchair is a good thing and that it's just as compelling as the able-bodied thing. David Monty of Race Results Weekly is like, I'm really enjoying the wheelchair coverage. I was not enjoying the wheelchair coverage. I will never enjoy the wheelchair coverage. And I think that they need to stop having a wheelchair race at every World Marathon major. The same people race each other over and over and over. They should have one major wheelchair race in the fall and put it on. And then they don't need to show it live either because it's not compelling TV. Show that as a tape during a break in the main race. But John, I watched the international feed, by the way. It wasn't any different. They were showing the exact same camera, the exact same wheelchair interviews, et cetera. It was just different commentators. Well, then something needs to change because what astounds me is that a marathon would pay hundreds of thousands of dollars for these athletes in appearance fees to promote them as a big part of the race. And then all we actually get to see from them in race day is when they're crossing the finish line. Because that's basically all you saw from Carmen Mance. We saw it a little bit longer for Emily Sisson. And I know logistically, sometimes it's hard to get cameras and all of them. But if you're going to be doling out all this money and pumping them up as a big part of your race, 
you need to get them on the broadcast. You ne- need to get people excited about watching Emily Sisson or Connor Mance because otherwise, why would I watch the Chicago Marathon? Look, and not only that, John, if you want to do the woke angle, they're trying to be woke. I thought about this. A black woman from Africa was about to run the greatest run in, in marathon history, women's marathon history. And they didn't show it because they were showing two white people from, you know, well-developed countries all the time on, on the wheelchair races. Now, I don't really think they're trying to be racist. I do think that they are against, I think that there is a pro first world country. They like to show well-spoken Americans or English speakers. So I do think that anyone from Africa is downplayed. But look, they didn't show much of Sisson either, which would have been a good, compelling story. But also, even though ignoring all that, like have a stats person. Like it was embarrassing. I was throwing the football with my son, barely watching the broadcast because it wasn't worth watching. I knew at 40K that she was not going to break the world record because she was only three seconds ahead of the pace and was, had drastically slowed down. I also saw with 400 to go that she needed to run it in 60, and that wasn't possible. The broadcasters had no idea. They didn't have a finishing clock on the screen. Like, oh, we don't know her time. Well, start your watch. Look at the 40K split. If I can do it on like paying attention for like 20 seconds during the broadcast, how can you not do it? That's your job. You know, I mean, how hard is it for them to realize this? Well, I also don't know why they take the clock off for both races, both elite races. They remove the clock, right? As they're approaching the finish line. What sense does that make? I don't understand that at all. That may be a little technical thing. There may have been a slight delay on the clock. I'm wondering if they're afraid that, that it would be off and then someone would get the wrong impression if they're like one or two seconds off. I don't know, John, but that's a good question. But the, yeah, it's pretty basic. You need to have an accurate clock. When I taught myself how to broadcast live in the span of one week, I got a clock on our American record temps indoors. I guess you guys aren't going to let me speak about this. My God. Just going on and on. And first of all, Robert, you say people don't care. Abbott sponsors some of these marathon wheelchair racers themselves. They have Abbott on their stuff. So you got sometimes you got to look where the maybe the money is. And also, what did the Abbott World Marathon majors the entity celebrate two weeks ago? Was it that the wheelchair prize pool was the same as the able-bodied? And how did they do that? They made it by taking four hundred thousand dollars from African runners and just canceling it. And there was no outrage. There should be outrage. If, if they have studies showing that people actually care about the wheelchair race and watch it, show it to me. I don't believe it. I don't believe it. Before the race, no one's talking. No one's writing articles. Who's going to win the wheelchair race? Who's going to win that? Look, sure, these wheelchair but Paralympians, people, they have well, great they, stories to tell. They have great stories to tell. But there's also people like with their legs cut off running. We don't, we don't feature them and give them equal price money. How far are you going to take it? And I think well, most people want to see the running. And also, these races were so uncompetitive. Marcel Hugues won by nearly eight minutes. Well, the woman's winner, Ruth Chepengetsch, nearly four minutes. There, it was just a wheelchair spiraling down the street. If you're going to do that, fine. Show the runners on the screen or something, but like, come on! I, I dare anyone to watch that broadcast and say this is really entertaining television. Even just a local person flipping on in TV in Chicago. Hello for the spectacle. Hello. Watch what ESPN does. ESPN does a much better job. Uh, the ESPN New York broadcast is trash too. Weldon, not just not as bad as this, but look, you could say that the women's marathon race was a blowout too. Weldon, it's not about the blowout; it's about how competitive. How many people worldwide race wheelchairs? How many people worldwide run? It's billions of people versus a small handful. And, you know, yes, it is a problem 
that they're getting this money from Abbott, which is a medical device and healthcare company. So there's probably a lot of money to be made by, you know, and that's in that sphere selling wheelchairs and, and whatnot. But look, I, I'm all for letting the wheelchairs inspire us. I'm all for hell. If you want to have the money races, have it, but just don't put it on TV and don't make me watch it. Don't shove it down my throat. Now people would say the same thing about women's sports 20 years ago. I just think that's different. It's just, there's a much bigger competitive pool for running than there is wheelchair races. And that will always be the case. But we, we complain about it every year and we don't do anything about it. So we need to have Carrie Pinkowski. We need to have the new NYR head on the show. We need to have the Abbott lady, the head of the marathon major. She said she would come on and talk to them about this because I don't know. I imagine the new NYR head. I think we talked about this in the Friday 15. They've got a guy with a sports background. He used to work in, the, in at ESPN, NBC. He used to actually be a commentator for some of the Olympic coverage. But And he runs a little bit. But do you think he's ever watched a marathon broadcast from start to finish? Do you think he's a diehard fan? Do you think he knows who, who Kenanese Bekele is before he was hired? I bet he doesn't. So, you know. Is he going to want to be promoting the wheelchairs at the same level? I hope not. My solution, if you don't want to be canceled, is just, as I said, have the one super wheelchair race per year. Because it's the same people every week. Like, didn't didn't the same people race the week before in, in, in London? Why do I need to see yes. that again? But he had a different outcome, I guess. So maybe that's why. Who didn't win in London? I'm actually interested in that. No, who won London? No. Yeah. But Romanchuk was a much a lot closer. We, we should get someone that's woke, like on the podcast, like David Monty, have him come on and say, "Do you really enjoy watching it as much as the running?" As like a wheelchair analyst, the lady, you know, at least knew a lot more than, than she knows a lot about it. That was a good part. Maybe you could say he's enjoying that. But I agree, Robert. Have a have a wheelchair, have a wheelchair world championship. Highlight them for that instead of having this sort of like sideshow. Where it's really, I think it's more like token coverage. Um, but also, then it's basic stuff. Do not be interviewing the second placer when the real race is going on, when these races or any race is going on, for that matter. Put that in a box if you're going to do that. Like nobody turned in to see what he was having. I mean, it, it was crazy. I mean, I, geez, I can't believe I was surprised how much John went off on this because I joked, you know, I was going to read something and John was a canceled. This is what he posted in the Live Chicago Marathon thread. Quote, this is the most coverage I can ever remember the wheelchairs getting. It is absolutely absurd. We might see a woman's world record, a men's American debut record, and a woman's American record, and 50% of the coverage is about two uncompetitive blowout wheelchair races. For that hot take, which I joked that Jonathan Gall could get canceled because, you, you know, you don't say anything about people in wheelchairs. 70 upvotes, not a single downvote. So I think we're preaching to the choir. I hope just some of the people in charge of the television production can get beyond this and focus on the amazing stories for the runners at the Chicago Marathon. That's what I think the priority should be. Feel free to you know disagree with me, but... Yeah, it's just basic news rules. When you're broadcasting an event, you focus on the most important and compelling stories. The wheelchair races were not hit in Chicago. The men's and women's elite races had a number of really compelling stories, and we did get a fair amount of coverage 
of Ruth Chepengedich as she was going off to the world record. I will say that. But the other storylines like Mance and Sisson were largely ignored to focus on wheelchair races that I don't think there was any demand for. So yeah, we've gone over this a few times, but you need to focus on the things that people are going to be excited about that people want to see. And that didn't happen in Chicago. All right. Speaking of being canceled or not being canceled, Robert, you teased something earlier that is going to change my worldview of Weldon, not make me want to work for him anymore. What is this dirty secret? And will you divulge it on the podcast for us? I will, but there's, I mean, people need answers. I need answers. My wife needs answers. Lots of people need answers. I was trying to make some, see if Thanksgiving plans yesterday. I texted Weldon. He texted back, I'm busy at pedicure place. And I was so stunned. I said, what? You're getting a pedicure? And he just admitted to it, John. Yes, you've never had one. Then I guess he felt a little bit guilty, so he said, Bob gets them. Uncle Bob is my beer drinking, Bud Light, you know, Bud, Bud beer drinking Ford dealership uncle, who I'm named after. True Texan at heart. So Weldon claims that manly, manly Texas men do it so he can do it. John, I just felt like this is something really rich, like Hollywood celebrities do, not gritty, hard runners. We'll call it runners. Am I out of touch? John, have you ever had a pedicure? Is this normal for... For I mean, not to stereotype people, like I think a man should be allowed to get a pedicure, but having to switch to becoming a trans woman. But is this normal, John? Behavior? Well, I don't think so. I haven't. I've never gotten one. It's something I sell. I associate more with the LA crowd, though. I guess Weldon, you know, he's in one of those Tony Connecticut suburbs, so I guess I could see that happening. But no, I, I'm glad I have an explanation about this because I saw last night on Twitter. I see men of Let's Run, have you ever had a pedicure? There's a poll one of you guys started. 19% yes, 81% no. I'm in the no camp. But then I see someone on Let's Run quote tweet that and say, come on, let's hear from a male pro who admits to having one. And then I'm thinking immediately in my mind, all right, which one of my two bosses has recently got a pedicure and wants someone to back them up for it? Because that's the only situation (laughs) where someone is tweeting about that. So look, am I going to queer anything? Look, if you want to get a pedicure, I mean, look, let's be real, guys. Runners have some of the foulest feet out there. Our nails, if we're running serious mileage, they're falling off. They're bloody. Some of them are uh, purple. I don't think Weldon is running enough right now for that to really be the case. But if he wants to get a pedicure, sure. How did it go, Weldon? Was it nice? Clearly, you guys have never had a pedicure. You've never had a pedicure. It's not like they're just filing your nails. It's not even about that. It's like a century of foot massage. They have this water bath thing. I don't know. I just go in. I don't really know. Like They have all these different packages they try to get you to sign up for. I just kind of go to my wife and then she tells me what the tip and we're out of there. It's, it's more like a foot massage with water and Robert's trying to blame it that it's a Tony, Tony East Coast elite thing. Full disclosure, my wife's uncle who works in finance, he get, got him and said, oh, you got to get one. I'll pay for it. That might have been my first one. Actually not. I think I did it with my wife. But Uncle Bob, Uncle Bob from a small town in Texas, he, he made me, he made me, I knew he'd gotten one of these before, and I was like, if Bob can get one, I can get one. Gender stereotypes are gone. This is 2022, boys. 
I mean, Bob drives around the country in an RV. This is pretty shocking to me that he does this. Like, I'll admit when I, I, I was I running. Pay. I will pay for it. Uh, John, send me the receipt. Maybe we need an official sponsor. If you want to be the official pedicure of Let's Run, please give us a call. 818-844-LET'S-RUN, 844-538-7786. I will admit when I was running, I did think everything starts at your feet. Like, and my feet were all callous and stuff. I thought maybe I should. I didn't know really what a pedicure was, but I thought, you know, maybe a massage of the feet, pedicure type thing might help then. But now it just seems like a waste of money. And, uh, John, I think in this new day and age, Walden should give that money to you and set a salary. That's why I thought you'd be afraid you quit. Like, wow, he's got the money for this pedicure type thing. No, if he wants to get a pedicure, I, I'm not as outraged about it as you are, Robert. Yeah, it's a little... I don't think many of my friends have ever gotten a pedicure. I've never gotten one. But if that's what you want to do, sure. I, I mean, I probably could use one given I've had some, uh, I think, plantar fasciitis when I've been running recently. If That probably could help with that. So, And also, the, you know, I will say this. If it was a manicure... Then I would start to ask questions, but pedicure I can kind of understand. I think I had the manicure once. This time I said manicure. I said no, 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 no. I'm not. Do I'm really just getting the foot massage, and it's a family activity. I've never got a pedicure on my own. I go with how the long wife, does it take? A day off? I don't know, like thirty minutes, and you get the neck massage after. The neck massage is just as important. So you got to get the pedicure and the neck massage. Do you get the Adam Venetari? I mean, not the Adam Venetari. The uh... <laughs> Robert, Robert Croft, Croft that's what you're trying to say. He went with his wife. Come on, Robert. That's oh, Clown question, bro. Well, anyway, I don't think any less of Weldon, but I'm glad the mystery of which Johnson brother was trying to justify that pedicure on Let's Run has been answered. Yeah. I think, John, if you start dating someone seriously, I'll, I'll pay for both you guys to go to joint pedicures. All right. I got to dangle that uh, first date I go on with next time I go on a first date, I'll have to ask them, say, Hey, my boss has a free, uh, <laughs> we, we've got a free coupon for dual pedicures. If we date past like one month or something like that. But I'm wondering for the running point, if you actually want the calluses, maybe the calluses make your feet tougher. We need a kinesiologist to email us about that. All right, guys, I think that should be a wrap till Friday. I need to go. Cause this, hour and a half podcast is taking over two hours to broadcast because my internet is so bad i need to go get a new internet company is that it 100 chicago and pedicure i mean is there anything else going on we had cj albertson break the 50k world record uh it's official world record event now he ran 238 took two minutes off the previous record by steven makoka he's running the valencia marathon later this year says he wants to run 208 there and he thought that we could talk about that if you want. I think we have to mention it. Thank you, John. Thank you. I mean, when is the... Well, I guess Des London did it. Supporters Club member Des London. Yeah, our Supporters Club. They dominate the ultras. But I thought it was interesting. He breaks this record and he says, no, you know, no, no. This is nice, but my focus is the Valencia Marathon. So I think that's cool because, I mean, 50Ks... It's barely further, you know, it's four miles further than a marathon. So. No, I think CJ has a very healthy perspective on this stuff. Remember a few years ago, he ran 209 on the treadmill for a marathon. But he's like, look, my official PR until it says otherwise is like 210. That's what it is right now. It's 210 from Boston earlier this year. He, he understands these things have a place, but he likes to do some of these things people consider crazy. That's just sort of part of his training. He'll run 
a couple of very fast, very long efforts on a treadmill. This one just happened to be in a race. But he also wants, to, that's not enough for him. He wants to run fast in real marathons. He wants to contend and be up at the front. I, I really like his whole approach. And it's definitely, it's exciting to me. I didn't realize he was running Valencia. So he is the kind of guy I could see going there and going out, trying to run 207, 208. And maybe he blows up. Like, can we say one other guy from Chicago we didn't mention, but I want to give him props is Frank Lara. 61 flat half marathoner. He went out with Connor Mance through halfway in Chicago, came through half in 63.45, totally blew up at the end of the race and ended up running 2.15. But he was on pace to run 2.09 until about 35K or something. So to me, I'm like, hey, you know, you always, you almost got that, man. That's really good progress. And one of these days you're going to hit one. This is what we ask our top Americans to do more often is to take a risk. He took a risk, didn't work out, but... Props to him for going for it, and hopefully CJ will do something similar in Valencia. Oh, thank you, John. Uh, I had all these things I want to talk about Chicago, and I wanted to mention Frank Laura. I was listening to this soccer podcast. Got to give it a proper due here, because the World Cup, John, it's getting close. How far away are we? It starts the day after NCAA Cross, November 20th, so I think we're about five weeks. Wow. It's called In Soccer We Trust. And they had this segment called Three Up, Three Down. And you get kind of gave like a thumbs up to three people, thumbs down to three people. Maybe we should have like a one up, one down for each of us every week. And Frank Lore is my one up. I just loved it that he went for it. You don't notice it in the result. But I, we need more Americans doing that. It's like the Japanese model. Just go, go, go. And some guys make it, but like, 210 just doesn't cut it. 209s don't cut it anymore. So I'd love to see him doing that. Imagine if we had like the Connor Mance talents. Well, there aren't that many guys like that, just all just like going for it. You know, the problem is some of these, you're an American mar marathoner and you can sort of get sponsorship, make it a go running 209, 210 these days. Oh, it's becoming harder though. We're getting more guys running 209. Like a few years ago, I think. 209 would have, if you were a 209 American, yeah, you can definitely get a deal. But these days, it, I think it's getting tougher because people are going to start figuring out 209 is really what 211 was a couple of years ago. But I loved it. And he also helped, you know, Connor because he had some company. And so if I'm going to do it one up, one down, I got to do it down here. Laura Thweet, 231. She's better than that. She used to be. You know, she at one point was like, remember, she's in New York. She ran well. There was a lot of buzz about her, but now 231 on a flat course. And I think she said on Instagram, you know, look, it wasn't my day. And I applaud people when they go on there after a bad race and explain what happened. So that part of for me gets a thumbs up for sure. But the performance, yeah. Yeah, I was surprised what, what happened here. Because she's still, she's not that old and she's had some success in the last couple of years. So that's not the outcome she was hoping or that we were to expect from her. So, yeah, I, I guess I, I agree with you on the one down. Patrick Tiernan, 211.02. All right. Well, anything else for this week or is that going to be a wrap? No. No. Uh, 
I mean, this is a weird weekend, John. We got to enjoy it. It's like our first weekend in three with no major marathon, right? Yeah, we have a couple cross-country meets, but yeah, it can actually take off Saturday and Sunday uh, without having to get up early for a marathon on Sunday morning. So it's going to be nice. So people, you got to start focusing on your own running, your own recovery. Elliptigo, roll recovery. Great giveaway right now on the website. Don't miss it out. Check it out. Link in the show notes. $3,500 giveaway. There's a reason. Pros, amateurs. What, what do I call myself? Hacks. Everybody uses Elliptigo and roll recovery. Roll recovery now with the percussion thing. Elliptigo now with the indoor and outdoor machines. Check out the link in the show notes. John, Friday 15, we'll talk about the NCAA cross country. We're always entertaining the Friday 15. We had a great segment about Ginny Simpson turning pro last week. We love you supporters, club members. I think, John, you're going to have to get your, your ticket to, to Valencia. Either that or maybe I'm going to go to Valencia. Hey, if you want to send me to Valencia in December, I'll, I'll take you up on that. Absolutely. That'll be great. Though it'll be in the middle of the World Cup. That is the one thing. I got to make sure oh, I it. figure out the World Cup is schedule, it? what games are going on. Yeah, the World Cup will be going on at that moment. But uh, if I can work it around the World Cup schedule and England's march to the title, uh, I would totally go to Valencia. Wow. All right, Bernie. Till the Friday 15, signing off. Elliptigo and Roll Recovery are having the Train Like the Pros giveaway. Link in the show notes. Over $3,500 in prizes. Sign up today. You can win an Elliptigo 8C, the go-to cross-training tool used by thousands of current and former runners. You got to be familiar with Elliptigo. High schools are using it. Colleges are using it. At the 2020 U.S. Olympic Trials, over 100 athletes used it. Molly Seidel, Meb Kofleski, Allison Tulemek, Emily Sisson. Oh, oh, Emily Sisson, yes. Jared Ward, Saren Hall, Molly Huddle. Too many more to name. They all use Elliptigo. You should too. And Roll Recovery. If you don't have the roller, order one right now. It's a tremendous recovery device. But you know what they have now? The R1 percussion device. Roll Recovery is no longer just a roller. Check it all out. The Elliptigo and Roll Recovery Train Like the Pros giveaway. Link in the show notes.